right when you don't know what to do just keep breathing from the city of angels in los angeles welcome to all my listeners out there in radio land i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com along with well normally my lovely co-host but she's not here today so i'm not even going to mention it (laughs) and we're also coming to you live 24 7 and on demand numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, and a whole bunch more. In fact, we have we are very proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Mark Stephen Poro, just like Zorro, <laughs> a New York native. Um, earned an industrial design degree from the Ohio State University. After years of agency work, his love of acting led him to Hollywood, where he, where he appeared in dozens of TV, film, and stage productions. Mark also spent his 28 years in Tinseltown, engineering. Entrepreneuring, I should say, not engineering. There's a difference. <laughs> he started five nonprofit companies, but holy applause, none were intended to be. He now lives in the south of France. But hold your pity. He, of sound mind and body, chose to suffer in the heart of wine country where the locals insist his French isn't so bad. At least that's what he thinks they're saying. <laughs> Mark's an award-winning designer, writer, and director. He's written lots of jokes, several screenplays, and one award-winning short film. A cup of tea on the commode. A sad, sweet, and funny memoir is his first published book. And, but before we get started with Mark, I want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest, Christina Ramirez, a serial entrepreneur bringing her empowerment curricula to audiences everywhere, from children to corporations. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, actually, on caregiverdave.com, my membership website, and also on the 26 global audio and video platforms that I just mentioned previously. Okay, enough of that. Mark, so great to have you on the Caregiver Dave show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, I'd like to ask my guest just who is Mark Poro and why was he placed on this earth? I have to, I have to admit I knew this question was coming, so... I gave it much thought. Uh, you um, <laughs> I have to, you know, I have a, a a thing that I put on my Facebook thing when they ask for a, a quote or something, and uh-huh. and and I think it really is my thing. I say, find the joy, and so um, I try to find the joy in in anything that I do, and then uh, then I try to spread it. So um, yeah, any situation, if you can, you know, I think it's a choice. You have an attitude. And you have a choice and you say, listen, I'm going to make the best of this no matter what happens. And that uh, certainly came into play when I uh, decided to uh, jump in and uh, take over 24-7 care of my mom. So um, I'd have to say that that's that's it. Find the joy. How long ago was that? 
It uh, it began in uh, 2011, uh, nine days after her 89th birthday. I got a call from my brother who said that our mother just shut down. She was at a senior center. She went there for uh, activities uh, five days a week. And they called and said, uh, You're, come get your mom. She's not dead, but she's just basically uh, gave up and won't respond. And was it so they didn't call an ambulance. Was her ailment? There was no ailment. I think she was just uh, depressed, as we found out. But I didn't know at the time. It was... Uh, uh, you know, you get, you get this call and they say the doctor cut off all meds and food and water and hospice came. And I kind of freaked out because uh, 14 years earlier, hospice was called and uh, to my father. And two days later, he passed. Hmm. So I took the, the, the quickest flight I could get uh, back to uh, our home in New Jersey, the house that I grew up in. You and came my friends. Pardon me? You you flew from France to do that? No, uh, France. I, I moved to France uh, in 2016. So I was in Los Angeles at the time. I see. And um, so I flew home and mom was in bed, uh, comatose, semi-comatose, wasn't responding to anything, did, uh, barely opened her eyes. She did respond a little bit to touch after a few days, but we were, all uh, her six kids came. Uh, I'm the third son and the fifth child and the tallest. Um, so he's had three boys and three girls. And so uh, we were basically on death watch. Uh, and then we also, uh, she was Catholic. We all grew up in uh, the Catholic church. And so we had a priest come in to give her the last rites. And, and we just waited. And uh, a few weeks later, I think that um, I have a chapter in a book called A Silent Scream for Help. And so I think this was a, a, a cry. She wanted help. She wanted love. Uh, it wasn't in the house. And I think she really wanted to be rescued. So um, we were there, and she snapped out of it after a few oh, weeks. Really? And um, interesting thing was, so um, uh, I stayed with her for a number of weeks, and we knew hospice was going to be there for six months. So hospice, um, I had to go back to L.A. because I still had business responsibilities there. So after, I think in May, so this was February. So I think in May, I went back to LA and then kept in touch with her. And, um, but she was off meds. She was probably on a dozen different medications. And why did they take her off to begin with? Because they thought that she was coma comatose, let her die? Yep. It was, it was basically let her die. The doctor never came. Doctor never even knew. He just, I, I, I don't know uh, what the deal was. The doctor just said, you know, let it go. Um, Interesting. So and, off meds. Uh, so after the meds were off, and she, after she snapped back, uh, was she left off all the meds? Uh, pretty much, yeah. So um, for three and a half years, we had, she had a heart issue and a pacemaker. So uh, eventually, uh, we had to go. Uh, I think with a low dose of digoxin for her heart, and that How was, old was it. She? Pardon me? How old was she at this time? 80, 89. Hmm, interesting. And um, so digoxin for the heart, nothing else. And once she snapped out of it, she started with a pumpkin pie <laughs> and then um, and then sherbet. She loved sherbet and she ate about eight bowls a day. That's all she wanted. And then she moved on to oatmeal, about eight bowls of that a day. And she was a type 2 diabetic and thought, 
boy, she must be riding the, the, the most continuous sugar high, but she was doing great. She was back. She had her sense of humor. And, um, and so we didn't want to change a thing. So I think her own cure was the one that was better than the medications. You know, Mark, most most uh, caregiver stories don't end happily and aren't as uh, positive as you just uh, portrayed. Sounds like you had a pretty good deal here. You brought her back to life and um, she was enjoying life. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she had uh, we had some we had some issues. Um, part of the problem was the um, the 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 people who were. Oh, they weren't a personal caregivers, but they were uh, living in the house for about three and a half years at that point, and they were the problem. So really? by Jersey law, we couldn't get rid of them. We had to come up with a compromise. So I had to live with these people for uh, about seven months. Wait, and why? Why? Let's back up. Why couldn't you get rid of them because of Jersey law? Were they employees? Jersey law? I think if the people are uh, a resident in in a, in a, a house. For a certain period of time, and one of the ladies was over 60, uh, by Jersey law, you can't boot them out. You had to come up with some kind of a compromise. What and kind of a crime would they have to commit to get them out? What if they what were abusive? Would, what if they were stealing? What if they were just well, bad, I didn't, I mean, the, your loved the, problem, the problem was they were in the house. So I didn't want to, uh, I was trying to uh, ease the tension, not add to it. So I didn't want to... I mean, they were not really good people. They thought they were. But um, anyway, I took over. So I was like, I called, I'm the new sheriff in town. So I was taking care of my mom. So I wasn't worried about my mom. They had very little interaction with her, but they added um, a lot of tension in the house. So it wasn't all smooth sailing. And then once there was we, some stress there, there was a ton of stress there. And what helped me, because we'll, we'll get to the thing where, again, it wasn't all smooth sailing. Uh, the house was in terrible shape. Uh, this was a, a, a beautiful, welcoming home that we grew up in. And now it was, it was just trashed. Wow. So I started renovating. And the, the basement was the worst. So I started in the basement while these people were living there. So it became a stress relief therapy for me because I'm banging two by fours, ripping down walls, uh, redoing plumbing and rebuilding and things like that. So there was a lot of uh, you have all those skills, huh? Yeah, I yeah I grew up with this stuff, and uh, as a designer, um, uh, you learn a lot of things. But we had a fire in our house in 1969, so I was 12 years old, and I was fascinated watching the guys rebuild our house. Oh. So I learned a lot there. My dad was pretty handy; he was more of a a tinkerer than a, a craftsman, but. Um, I was a, an award-winning furniture maker in high school, and I was very good with uh, wood and construction. And in, yeah. in college, for summer jobs, you took on construction and painting and stuff like that. So I learned a lot of skills over the years. So um, I rebuilt the house from head uh, from the basement up uh, while I was there because once these people left, um, I wanted to restore dignity not only to my mom but to her surroundings, and she loved it. Uh, she loved the, the, the new, I would, at that point, she still couldn't walk. So I would carry her upstairs. I gave her, um, her first bubble bath in years in the renovated bathroom. Um, she passed out in the tub. So I tried to do a good thing and I thought I was, I killed my mother. Huh. And I said, well, at least she smelled good. But, um, the, the, I left her in the bath a little too long and her, her blood pressure went way down. So I brought her 
I brought her back to bed and about 30 minutes later, she woke up. And so she had no recollection of passing out, but she did remember the new bathroom. So it was a win-win. Wow. So let's talk about any lines that you will not cross in dealing with 24-7 care. Well, I think it's unusual for a son to take on um, uh, the caregiving. and Mostly um, women. Yeah. And while hospice was there, uh, I learned a lot from hospice. I was a a really good student. So I wanted to learn as much as I could while they were there so I could take over. And I I did everything, changing diapers, um, uh, changing the bedding, all her cooking, all uh, at, at that point, taking care of all the shopping and the laundry. And, but one of the first things I did because it, it, it's your mom and um, wanting to feel pretty does not end at, at, at 89. So I bought her a new wardrobe. I didn't want these drab night dresses. So I thought a new wardrobe would help perk her up a little bit. And then I created a thing called Day of Beauty. My mother loved going to the beauty salon. That was like her weekly trip or treat for herself. What a good son you are. Pardon me? What a good son you are. Well, these are things, you know, I I guess. But, I mean, I don't think it's that unusual. Not everybody does stuff like that. You're you're one of the good guys. But I guess, yeah. But I grew up with, you know, watching my parents do this stuff. Yeah. And um, it was uh, modeled to you. And that's why I tell people, you know, be careful how you treat your parents or your elderly or the one you're caring for, because your children are watching you. And one day you're going to be that old person and they're going to do the same thing. Payback. Yeah. Payback. I I had some options because I remember when my mother used to push my cuticles when I was a kid and she thought it was necessary. But as a kid, I didn't think it was. And so when uh, during Day of Beauty, uh, uh, she got a, a full sponge bath and and the hair was washed and blow dried. At that point, she had very long hair again, which was lovely. So I either, either braid it or put it in a ponytail. But I did her nails. She was very particular about her nails because she used to be a hand model. So she had long, natural nails her whole life. But now they were dangerous because as we get older, skin gets thinner and she was very itchy. And with these lethal length nails and that itch, that really could have been a problem. So um, it took many days of beauty, but I had to trim those nails down. I had to be very careful and go very slow. Um, But that was a big deal. But then she got her red lipstick and her red uh, nail polish, and, and I think she was okay with it after a now while. Now, you should win uh, Best Caregiver of the Year Award because well, the little things that you're caring for, you know, you're not just caring for your mother or caring for a loved one. You're really uh, invested in making sure that their quality of life is improved, which yeah. is, you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is your loved one happy that you're caring for them, or are they you know, or are they tolerating you? <laughs> yeah. I think the main thing is, uh, I'd say the big word is empathy. So you have to, you have to put yourself in their shoes right. or with my, in my mother's case, her non-slip safety socks, cause she couldn't walk, but, sure. um, and you have uh, kids, right? I have no kids. This was my first child. What a shame because, uh, you just, you modeled, <laughs> you would have modeled your, your kids, how to take care of you. When you become uh, needing a caregiver, who's going to be your caregiver? Have you thought about that? Uh, yes, I have. I, I signed up, I think, uh, one or two nephews. 
I'm very close with my uh, sister's nephews. And so uh, after I, uh, while taking care of my mom, you know, we were in touch and they would visit and, and, and stuff. That was another thing that was lovely. When I That's renovated okay. the house, um, a lot of the family members, including me, we stayed away for a while because there was so much tension in the house with these people. So once they were out and the house became another a beautiful, inviting place, mm-hmm. grandchildren came back, brothers and yeah. sisters spent more time there. And, and it was great for mom because she was surrounded by, she especially loved the grand and the great grandchildren. Sure. How did you get rid of them, by the way? Uh, uh, the, uh, I, I, I might have to take the fifth. You made him an offer they couldn't refuse. Huh? Yeah, I'm from Jersey, Italian so we way. have our ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, to be honest, we we um, they had a, a child, it, so it was three generations that came, uh, which was also a surprise. And Michael, my brother Michael, hired one person, and they came with the whole group. Um, wow. So we just said, okay, when, like, they when, were like roommates, and it's very difficult to get a roommate, uh, rid of a roommate yeah, in California. Was, well, anyway. I call them squatters, actually, because they did very little work and they lived for free for several months. I got um, So we came up with, with an agreement that will give you six months and you're out. And they knew they were leaving, but they waited to the last day of that agreement because they didn't want to pay rent anywhere. Uh, it was just fight it legally or anything, right? No, no, because it wasn't just me that wanted them out or, or my older brother who hired them really took pity on them. So there was a little bit of sibling tension, I think with that. So you have to, uh, make sure everybody in the family is in agreement. So we got everybody to sign on the six month thing. If it was any sooner, or if I tried to boot them out sooner, Um, it, it would have been, uh, I think, a little ugly with the family. Sure. So to keep it all, I guess, copacetic, uh, I, I, I dealt with that. I but this, to... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. I wanted to say with, with the tension. So um, while, while hospice was there, um, we did some research and stuff, and you find out you really do have to take breaks. So my little sister and I uh, would take care of mom, but hospice was there. So we would go off and take walks to t- take daily breaks. Um, that is but when I took over, uh, I was alone there and I said, I can take care of this. You know, th- this is no big deal, but it creeps up on you. Yeah. And um, it got to a point in uh, 20, June of 2013, I went in for emergency surgery because oh, wow. I, I, I had, um, uh, it felt like someone shot me in the gut. And I put I put off going to the emergency room because I had my mother to take care of. And about three days, I had a really bad fever. And um, and then the next day, I felt a little better. Uh, and then it came back with a vengeance the next day. So I finally drove myself to the emergency room on uh, like four days later. And they said, you have diverticulitis. Just from when I said I have a pain in the lower left uh, abdomen. And they did a um, uh, a CAT scan, and it was not only diverticulitis, but it was punctured and infecting my body. And they, so it was very close. They said, if it got into your bloodstream, you would have been dead. So we had to go through surgery, and then that didn't go so well. So I went through a second surgery uh, a few weeks later, and then uh, eight months later, a third surgery. Oh, no. So Is that all caused by stress? Um, I would have to say so because I, uh, I, I ate well. It's like an um, ulcer, isn't it? Pardon me? It's like an ulcer, isn't it? 
No, it, a diverticular, as we get older, in the colon, you have these little things which are almost like the appendix. Uh-huh. So you have these little pockets. And um, there's a rumor that like seeds and things like that from tomatoes and stuff like that, if they get into the pocket, they cause pain and a problem. But antibiotics can usually take care of that. In my situation, whatever got into the pocket exploded into the abdomen. Wow. So that caused the infection and that caused some really serious, uh, it could have been really bad. Is that also um, what they call gut rot or is that something different? Um, I think that's gut rot. I mean, it, I think it's different. Okay. Um, so they had to take, they took originally uh, eight inches out of my colon. Oh, wow. And then uh, there was an obstruction. And so two weeks later, I had to go in for another emergency oh surgery. Gosh. And then after that, there was an obstruction. Eight months later was the obstruction in my small intestine. So once you open up the gut, you have all kinds of problems uh, that can be caused by adhesions, which are very sticky things. Once you open up that, it's, it's a, like a, a, a perfect seal. And once you open that up, things start to happen. And so what was happening is these sticky things were causing these obstructions and they had to go in. So I ended up losing about 12 inches of my uh, digestive system. And um, so, and I don't want to say that was caused by my mom, but you know, the whole, I think the whole idea, because when you're, when you're doing this, you have, um, whether things are going well or not, you're in bed and you're not sure if, if when you get up in the morning, if your mom's going to be there. Um, so you're always, at least I was, you're always worried about what's going on. I actually put a baby monitor in her room. And so during the day she would sleep a lot. So I could do the construction of the house and just keep an eye on her because it had a, a video camera. Uh, and at night she was a night person also. And so at night, boy, she would have conversations with somebody. <laughs> she had a, a little bit of dementia and a little bit of uh, a, a doctor came in a couple of years later. We had a doctor that made house calls that uh, thought that she had Alzheimer's. And I disagreed. I said, listen, she may forget my name and she may see visions on the ceiling mm-hmm. and uh, and all kinds of stuff. But I don't think that's dementia because I've played a doctor on TV and that that, that doesn't prove it to me. <laughs> but she did the, she did these tests, all these cognitive tests. And I thought mom did really well. Um, and, what would you do differently, uh, knowing what you know now, to perhaps avoid all of your surgeries? Well, you definitely got to take the breaks. You, you have to. Um, you, you regular have to checkups, take care of too? Pardon me? Were you getting your regular checkups? Uh, were you someone who avoided doctors? No, I mean, um, uh, the last checkup, I think before this, the whole thing with the surgery was with my uh, doctor in LA, who I had for about 20 years. So he said, get, a, uh, you know, a, you're in your mid 50s, you got to start taking care of things like have a colonoscopy and stuff like that. Um, and you that do. was my last checkup. And then with all these emergency surgeries, I was getting great care yeah. and great medications. Um, but one thing good about all those surgeries was I got, um, I got a deeper uh, empathy and 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 understanding of my mother's situation because we had a lot of things in sim- uh, in, in similar after that. So I could no longer walk without assistance in, in the hospital, at least. I was on heavy medication, so I was seeing visions also. Mm. Um, I had very little control over my bowel movements. And I took, uh, there was a, a, a protein drink called Prostat, 
that we were also giving my mother. So it was all these things in combination. I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm becoming yeah. my mother. So anyway, a happy ending was I, I survived it. We had to get someone in to help with the heavy lifting. <laughs> but I was still uh, involved until uh, my mother passed. And um, uh, so I was still pretty able good. To- How old are you today, if you don't mind me asking? I'm a, a million years old. I am. Uh, I just turned actually 66. Oh, three years younger than me. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Pretty good. Well, you're in good shape. Considering all you've been through. It's the wine. It's the wine. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. So I think that you know, it's uh, the important thing is that the, the the any of the little things you can do for your loved one. If there is anything sure. that. Uh, they loved in the past. If you can bring that back into them, whether it's music, my mother yeah. was Irish. So I played a lot of Irish music. I also did the river dance in front of her, which made her laugh, but made my yeah. shins cry. So there's, there's yeah. lots of things you, you can do, but, and, and, and it's I'll tell you, if, you're, if you if your loved one is happy, the caregiver is going to be happy. So yeah, absolutely. You have every yeah, yeah, motive yeah. to do that, you know, and, and you should be doing it, you know, out of joy, not out of duty, you know, right, it right, might start right. out as duty. And if it does, you know, cause m- many people are drafted into this. They didn't sign up for this. It was, yep. wasn't on their resume. They don't know what the heck they're doing, but you know, learn and, and turn it into a, a happy experience. Otherwise you're going to end up, you know, uh, needing a caregiver as well. The, right. the statistics are shocking. 30% yeah, yeah. of caregivers die before their loved ones do. Uh, about 60% will become sicker than the one they're caring for. Uh, many of them uh, getting the very disease or illness that they have and needing a caregiver of their own. So you, know, you want to stop that. Yeah. Also, um, uh, you bring up a good point about having bad caregivers. Uh, that's a big problem. And how do you get rid of a bad caregiver? Uh, mm-hmm. I know you pleaded the fifth on that, but if if someone in our audience says, you know, I got to get rid of this one, uh, what what do you recommend? Well, uh, short you, of short of murder, you know, right? I mean, if you can sit down with it, I mean, first of all, they they should be licensed and qualified. Okay. Uh, these people, especially the one that was the personal assistant, was was not licensed or qualified. Okay, so that'll uh, avoid a lot of problems right there. Yeah, right? Okay. yeah. So you can you can easily just say I want to, and that's how we got uh, rid of the uh, the personal assistant or the and personal references hygiene. too. Did you have references on them? Um, no, I have a, a chapter in the book about my brother. I call him my brother Teresa. <laughs> if there's a desperate person who needs a job, no matter what, Michael will give them a shot, and he will give the shirt off his back, right? Well, give the shirt off his back. But when it came to my mother's care, I said, that's where I draw the line because yeah. it, it was, yeah, we don't want to mess with that. You don't mess with family. If you want to do that at work or wherever, because he hires a lot of yeah. interesting people. And I always <laughs> ask him, where do you find these people? Like, oh, God sends them to me. <laughs> so God must have sent these people to him. And then Mark got rid of them. So um, what other things uh, do we look forward for? finding good caregivers? Well, what we did, we, we did do, because I wasn't planning on jumping in for the 24-7, so we did interview people. So we went through the interviewing process, which is uh, very interesting. So first of all, you want to see if they're qualified, and you have a list of, of things that you want, and whether they're willing uh, or, or to do this or not. So you really, have, it's it's a job interview. 
And then the, the next, if they pass that level, then they have to meet the person they're caring for. And they have to hit it off because yeah, if, sometimes the loved one doesn't like who you're selecting. Right. right. So that that's a sometimes done deal. Sometimes they though. never like the ones you're selecting. And then you realize, okay, she's not going to like anybody. Yeah. Well, that, that that's a possibility, too. If you have somebody who's just uh, impossible. Uh, my mother was not, but she was um, um, she had a good BS detector. <laughs> and we had uh, two other uh, groups that came in before these these people stayed three and a half years. The first uh, person lasted about a year. She was a disaster. Um, the second people were great. And they got along with my mother and my mother got along with them. And it was because they were happy people. And my mother could sense that. And they liked her and they had, a, you know, and, and after they left, they they bought a house. And that's the reason they left. They would come back and visit. These were generally good yeah. people who liked what they did. And then the next group, I think they were desperate and they, they yeah. wanted a, a, they got a great deal. They got a, a nice house and a nice location in a beautiful town. And they didn't care about the, the person yeah. they had to take care of, really. They kind of put up with it. And that was the shame of it. Yeah, you know, it's a shame. But uh, a lot of Alzheimer's or dementia patients become paranoid and start accusing the caregiver yeah, yeah. of stealing. And, and right. you know, they're looking for things like that. And it's sad because uh, I know that happened with my mother-in-law. She thought she thought I was breaking into the house and stealing things to try to drive her crazy. I mean, just paranoid. She'd call the cops three, four times a day saying, somebody broke into the house. Somebody stole this. They stole my silverware. And then oh, they brought it back gosh. three days later. They stuck it under my bed. They're trying to drive me crazy. Really, she was doing all this, you know, but she yeah. wouldn't admit that she. Uh, so you were very fortunate that none of that happened with your mother. Right. Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I That brings up because uh, with my grandmother. Uh, she would tell me stories, and I was 15 when I heard these stories, and I was like, let's go get those people who are yeah. doing all these things to her. And then my my uh, aunt, who lived with her, would, would cool me off with the truth. And I was like, that was the first time that I understood, oh, man, this, this could be dangerous. No, she was good. If anybody stole, it was my mother. She would steal. Uh, she would cheat at cards. She yeah. would steal uh, ice cream from me after she finished her bowl. And I would ask her about it. I said, why are you doing that? She goes, you had plenty. I said, uh -huh. so you're doing this You're doing this to help me? She goes, yes. And then she would continue. So, so you, have, you have one book? One book. And talk about that. What, what, uh, why should people buy your book? Well, uh, there, it's, 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 a, it's a good story. I mean, my mom was very cool. And, and my dad, too. There's a lot in there about my dad. Uh, they taught me really good lessons that really, I think, paved the way for me taking this job. Uh, because people say, oh, you're great, you're great. So I said, no, this was, this was the right thing to do. And there's uh, stories about how uh, that affected me as a child. And um, there's some tips in there, I guess, of, uh, of, of what I did. I, um, a lot of, I mean, it's entertaining. It, uh -huh. There is a lot of tears, but there's a lot of laughs. I have uh, the responses I'm getting from people or they're, they're crying and laughing at the same time. And they're sharing their stories because a lot of people have either gone through it or going through it or will go through this. So they have to make a choice whether they want to take right. this on or not. And I think from my experience, it was a, a, a pretty positive experience. So hopefully it will inspire others to jump in and do this. So what came first, the film or the book? 
the film what the, the film it says one uh, award-winning short film yeah that's uh that's something different i did a parody okay. on i thought a yeah. cup of tea on the commode was the film but that's the no. book no just the book but i have had a couple people say this should be a film so stay tuned so this is a a heartwarming story a cup of tea on the commode and where can we get that book it's on Amazon, a lot of other uh, online retailers. If you want more information, I mean, go to Amazon. You can read some of sure. the reviews and stuff, which have been very, very nice. But also a cup of tea on the commode.org. I have a, a about 130 YouTube videos of uh, book teasers that I've been oh, really? uh, producing and putting out for the last uh, year and a half. And <laughs> um, the blog is very good, has some nice uh, excerpts and things too. But the... Um, the book is good, and I remember you 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 talked to one of your previous guests about doing the audio book. Yes, that's going to be hard. That's going to be all that all that my acting training is going to have. To it was hard because- for me. I I I've written you know five books, and the sixth book is the one that I did the audio on, and it really took a lot uh, out of me. But I'm glad I did it, and I'm uh, happy the way it turned out. Yeah, and I'm thinking about doing that for the other books. But I just can't seem to get the nerve up to get started. <laughs> it's it, it's going to be tough because there's, there's it, I've done a few yeah, chapters. You want it to come out good, you know. You don't want to yeah skimp on it, right? And I've done uh, uh, the first few chapters I've done, and then if I I start another chapter, and there's it's not even a sad chapter, but I'll start bawling. It's yeah. it's writing this book took a long time because I had to. Well, I uh, it. it helped moving to France to get away from everything and just just yeah. reflect. And I have so are a lot you going to be in uh, France forever? You like that place? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, I think. Uh, but America's you're away from going- family, right? Yeah, but we, with Zoom and and FaceTiming and everything is pretty cool. Plus, I've had three of my uh, siblings come out to visit and a cousin. Going to say who comes out to visit you? It gives them a, an excuse to come to France. It, it's it's fabulous. You go, hey, come see me in the south of France. It's a pretty good invitation. And how long so- does it take to get from the airport? to the south of france which airport whichever one you recommend they go to well there's uh uh montpellier is about 50 minutes away well, and that will take bad. you anywhere All so right. that's it's pretty good except in the summer might be a little crazy with it now with don't the they want to visit paris when they come also paris is about a four and a half hour train ride or maybe an eight hour car ride yeah, or hour and a half ride <laughs> Uh, hour and a half plane uh trip so all yeah. right well hey we could just keep going but uh yeah i can't believe how fast the time goes uh i just wanted to uh thank you for coming on the show and i wanted to thank all my guests uh who who listened to the show who've made me the number one uh, caregiver podcast on the internet and I just want to also uh, plug my book, my number one bestseller, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, Spreading Wisdom All Over the World, available wherever books are sold, and on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com, where you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching call to talk about whatever you're struggling with. Many times a 30-minute call is all it takes to resolve a big problem. And I invite you all to join my Caregiver Dave uh, Facebook online support group, 34,000 Caregivers. Lots of tools, resources, videos, and this radio show as well. And uh, I also would like you all to click 
the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So again, thank you, all my listeners out there all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday. Until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, David. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to share the word. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Keep breathing, take it in and let it out. Keep breathing, it's gonna be okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.